looks right, throws a deep pass, right side, end zone, hits off, it's a touchdown! And the Cardinals continue to pour it on. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Arizona! The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Great move to the right at the 50. Cuts back to the left at the 40. He's loose at the 30. He's at the 20. The 10. Touchdown, Cardinals! Rise up and make a play. And what a hit! Oh, my goodness! He got crushed. You've got to be kidding me. Come off the ball with malice. Here's Paul Calvisi. Just when you thought that the NFL season, a 5-2 and two start, a big, big win against Seattle on Sunday Night Football was all going to combine to take us away from 2020, to actually divert our attention away from this year. No! 2020 rears up and sucks us back in mafia-style, gentlemen. Here we are with a reality check as we go into week number nine, coming off the bye. Paul Calvisi, Darren Urban, Kyle Odegaard, Darren, I saw your story on azcardinals.com first, so why don't you go ahead, break the news, get us up to speed as the Cardinals were on the bye and they still lose two players. Yeah, uh, two defensive starters, Devon Kennard and Byron Murphy, have landed on the COVID reserve list. And uh, there was a report that um, two players have tested positive. Devon Kennard did say he tested positive in a tweet that he put out. Um, No one's confirmed that Murphy has tested positive. Um, but obviously if there's a report out there with two guys and they're on the list, that seemed to be the natural connection there. And, and clearly that's not an ideal situation um, because you don't know what their situation would be for the game Sunday. Um, doesn't look all that promising. And those are two guys that you count on on your defense. So we'll see what happens. And the stipulation is you can end up on the COVID-19 list, either testing positive or if you're in close contact with someone, right, Kyle? Yeah, that's correct. And like Darren said, it, it seems like the tea leaves are saying that both of those guys are likely positive. And then you just hope first and foremost for their health, where you want these guys to get through it without any complications. And Devon Kennard tweeted that he was asymptomatic on on Monday. So hopefully that's the case. You don't want these guys to get sick for a prolonged period and, and have any complications with their own health more so than just football. But from the football side of things, obviously it's, it's an indefinite absence. We don't know exactly when they're going to be back and how serious, if any symptoms they have. And either way, it seems like Sunday against the dolphins, it would be a pretty big surprise if you, if you had either of those guys to play. All right, so that's the breaking news right off the top here. Cardinals Underground presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. So I guess best case scenario is you're Nick Saban, you're back in three days. Is that plausible? Is that feasible? Is I mean, Darren, come on, is that even allowed under the protocols in the NFL? What is a best case scenario as I go poly positive? Uh, Honestly, Paul, I'm not going to try and go Holiday and Express here and and act (laughs) like I know exactly – you know, I, I've tried to look up some of the, the rules and, and how it works. There's still some vagueness in terms of what's out there for the public to know how these rules are. Um, I know that Devon Kennard, when he tweeted out, said he felt fine. And if he's asymptomatic, um, that's a positive thing in terms of a sooner rather than later return. Obviously, we don't know what's going on with Byron Murphy. Um, I do know that, you know, obviously earlier in the season, uh, Keyshawn Johnson definitely missed the opener and I'm trying to remember time-wise if he was able to return for the second game or not but um, no one's coming back if there's symptoms anytime soon because you're going to want it to at least uh, play out and and get that guy healthy so I I don't want to make something up here I don't know for sure how this is going to go again um, if they tested positive over the weekend they're already testing from here that the clock starts when they, I assume when they test positive the first time, could that mean a guy coming back potentially, but that's also meaning you're playing after not practicing all week, which is almost certainly going to happen. So I don't know how, you know, how that's really going to move. And, and fortunately for the Cardinals, they have a, a couple pieces they can put in. Marcus Golden has arrived and you figure he can play and they've obviously had uh, Prince Amakamura, who's been with the team a few couple weeks on the practice squad. They just signed Bosby. 
the other cornerback onto the active roster. So you have some options there in terms of filling Murphy's role if you have to. Are the two corners going to be eligible for the Miami game in week nine, to our knowledge, Kyle? Or, or, is that a possibility at least? Do they have that option? Yeah, and I think Prince of Mucamara makes a lot more sense because he's been around for a couple weeks and he's starting to understand the defense. With that being said, I think you do have a lot of options in the slot because you can move Buda Baker to the slot and play Jalen Thompson and Deontay Thompson at safety, provided Jalen Thompson is ready to come back. Or you can play a 4-3 with Isaiah Simmons on the field more and not have as much of a slot corner. I think you can move around some pieces depending on how Vance Joseph sees it. But I do think that Prince of Mucamara or Kevin Peterson, too, is a guy that um, is, is a slot cornerback. So I think you have some different options that Vance Joseph can toy with. Maybe the best news, the fact they get a rookie quarterback this week, making his yeah. second career start in Tua Tonga-Vailoa, who threw for less than 100 yards on 12 of 22 passing. As for the edge, Darren, with Devon Kennard, presuming he is indeed out, uh, Marcus Golden, refresh your memory. I mean, Marcus Golden should be plug and play because he had been with the Giants the entirety of the season, right? Yeah, I mean, he should be in shape And when you're talking about especially rushing the passer, which I would guess, given their circumstances, um, they would be able to, to make that work where he could be a little bit more specialized in that regard. I mean, I think you can you can definitely have that make sense uh, with Hassan Reddick playing every down. And then if you, you have to bring somebody in on uh, rundowns potentially, but, you know, Marcus Golden could probably – uh, hold up there. They they just got Josh Morrow, who um, while he has not played a ton this season, at the same time he's a guy that's going to know Brenton Buckner really well, and he's a really smart guy who went to Stanford. So maybe you have him filling on some of those plays. So I, again, I think with some of the moves they made prior to these guys uh, ending up on the COVID list, I, I think while it was done to help with depth and with some of the other injuries, Chandler Jones and Zach Allen and stuff. Um, I think those guys are going to end up being fortunate uh, signings, whether it's golden or Morrow or Amokamura, because I mean, you need them now and uh, we're, we're going to kind of see how this plays out. I mean, this is a big game, Paul. I mean, Miami just beat the Rams did it in a kind of weird ways, but I mean, you've got to make some noise at home in home games and you've got a division leading bills the week after. So this is a game you figure the Cardinals really need to get. All right, a couple of things there in order. Uh, number one, we can say someone's a smart guy without mentioning he went to Stanford. I'd <laughs> My bad. Uh, number two, uh, you're right. Miami has won three in a row, four out of five. And I'm not exactly sure what Brian Flores did in that Miami defense to befuddle Sean McVay and Jared Goff. But man, did they look bad. They look bad at times against that cover zero blitz. I mean, Sean McVay hasn't been out coached like that, dare I say, since the Super Bowl and Bill Belichick, which is the Brian Flores connection as well. And we all know what happened against the Lions earlier this year at home. So you're right. This is a critical game. I mean, once again, the best news to me is, Kyle, that you're not going against Russell Wilson. You're going against almost the exact opposite, a kid making his, his second start. He's got a lot of talent, but he has none of the experience or savvy or, or, or ability to dissect your defense like Russell Wilson can do. Well, first of all, to be fair to Sean McVay, he can't actually throw the ball for Jared Goff. He can design it, but if Goff makes the wrong play, and I don't remember where Goff went to college, but you can fill me in on that, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is against the Blitz, they were a, they were a disaster. And yeah, I, don't know, I, didn't, I didn't break down the game film. I did see there was one horrendous throw to 94. He threw it to the nose tackle, which was inexplicably yeah. bad. I did see that. And, and it's interesting for this matchup, though, because, like you said, Miami did a great job in cover zero. And basically that means you go one-on-one -on -one against every wide receiver and you send an extra guy to get the quarterback unimpeded. But if you do that against Kyler – and you don't get him, and he makes one guy miss, Kyler's gone. So it's it's a lot riskier to do that against Kyler Murray compared to Jared Goff. So I don't know if Miami can afford to blitz that match and as many bubble screens as the Cardinals have in their uh, kind of in, in their ideas for offense, you could get burnt that way too. So I don't know if it's the exact same type of matchup in this one, but certainly the Miami defense is is playing fantastic. And I agree with you. The big question is, 
can Tua consistently move the ball downfield and score points if the defense isn't setting them, setting them up with short fields? It's one thing to go cover zero and bring the house and bring numbers against Jared Goff. It's entirely a different thing to do against Kyler. And, and to further that point, look at Seattle. Look at Seattle and how reluctant the Seahawks defense was to bring numbers against Kyler. But then look what they did against the 49ers and Jimmy G. I mean, Bobby Wagner was seemingly blitzing every single passing down. I mean, they were coming hard. That was their best. That was their best pass rush of the season by far. And it was just them manufacturing that pass rush. You can't tell me that that Seattle and other teams are nearly as willing to do that against the Kyler Murray. It's a totally different game plan. And, and that's why if, for example, if, as long as we want to stick in the NFC West, if you're the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, and whether Jimmy G's done for this season or not, whether he's done for his 49ers career, considering they can get out of his contract at the end of this season with less than a $4 million cap hit, you got to believe that guys like Kyle Shanahan are looking towards the future of football, that sort of quarterback, like what the Cardinals have. You're a have or have not right now. Either you have a guy like Kyler or you don't, and that basically dictates the opponent's game plan to a large degree. I don't disagree with that. And, and again, you know, all the things you guys were talking about, that's exactly, that's exactly the problem you have when you're facing the Cardinals and, and Kyler Murray or some of the other, I mean, you, you saw it to an extent with what the, the Cardinals did against Russell Wilson, who's not the same kind of runner that Kyler is, but there was a few times that Russell Wilson crushed the Cardinals with his run game just because they had no one to account for him. And he's smart enough to take those 20 yards when it's sitting right there for him. And Kyler's going to burn you for a lot more just because of how quickly he can get up to speed. So, you know, I think I think it's going to be a lot tougher for the Dolphins to, to handle Kyler Murray than it was to, to deal with Jared Goff or with, what Seattle did with Garoppolo. I, I, I think that everything Kyler brings to the table that we've talked about a million times – you know, that's exactly what it is. That's why these guys are going to be the future of football. That's why these guys are going to be the MVP candidates is because there's, there's different ways to slice and dice you. And it just takes so much away from your defensive playbook when there's like an, uh, an automatic serum uh, that, that can uh, take care of whatever you might try and affect that quarterback with. And certainly Kyler Murray is still getting better and, and on a learning curve in a certain way but um he's gonna he's gonna beat up a team that it gets too dumb with some of their pass rush moves or, or or let him get outside and and i i think that ultimately is what plays into the cardinals benefit we can talk about the quarterbacks all day long and obviously that's the marquee matchup but look at the way the dolphins beat the rams they had a 78 yard fumble return for touchdown they had a punt return touchdown 88 yards the defense played well miami got outgained by 326 yards, that is the largest discrepancy for a winning team in 18 years. Think about that. They, they ran 42 plays to 92 plays for the Rams. Uh, it was just – there were 31 first downs for the Rams. And, and then Miami's defense was smelling itself and flexing and, and, and saying they had played a great game afterwards that they had heard so much about the Rams defense all week. They wanted to come out and show and show up and show out that they were the better defense. Well, the numbers certainly didn't say considering the production, they kept them out of the end zone ultimately, but uh, there was a lot of production there, Kyle. I, the numbers are, are interesting to look at from that Dolphins win against the Rams. The numbers lied to you, Paul. It's uh, you look at the total number of plays and they got that yardage because Jared Goff threw the ball 61 times. So if you look at a rate stat yards per attempt, Jer Jared Goff did not have a very good overall day. He had the turnovers. I mean, I, I agree with the Miami defense that they were dominant in this game. And yeah, the Rams put up yardage because they were down by 18 points and they had to throw the ball a lot and, and try to get down there. So I think, Miami's defense is playing phenomenal football right now. And I think this team is a legitimately good team. I don't think it's a particularly good matchup for the Dolphins against the Cardinals. And I think the Cardinals at home with the better quarterback, I think they're going to be the favorite to win this game. But when you've got playmakers on defense, if you can get, you know, a, a pick six or a, a strip sack and get good territory and then you get a lead and then you can kind of bleed out a game like that, it's a possibility, but 
you just look at the way the Cardinals play where Kyler Murray doesn't take a lot of sacks and he doesn't throw the ball into coverage too often and doesn't try to fit a bunch of tight windows. I feel like if, if you make the Dolphins earn this game and you don't turn the ball over a bunch, it's going to be hard for Miami to win. It's funny you talking about the yards and, and the results and everything. It just reminds me of this, this story. And if you'll uh, bear with me, I, I don't have the, uh, the Dr. Dre in the background like Wolfwood, but um, so in 2004, uh, the Cardinals uh, had won four out of six with Josh McCown, a quarterback, Denny Green's first year. And Josh wasn't playing particularly awesome, but they were winning some games. Um, Cardinals went on a road trip. This is before I worked for the team. I was working for a newspaper at the time. And uh, the night before I'm sitting in my hotel room in Charlotte and Josh's agent calls me and says, you didn't hear this from me, but they're benching Josh tomorrow and they're starting Sean King. What? Yeah, that's, that's what they're doing. It's bull and, you know, and, and it shouldn't have happened, but uh, this is what's happening. So I write the story, I'm guessing, and Kent Summers also had the story the next day, so I'm guessing the agent also called him. And I am assuming that Denny Green probably was not happy the next morning when it was in the the papers uh, that uh, Sean King was getting the start. But we get to this game, and it plays out horribly. Um, Sean King struggles. Um, They get way behind at halftime. It was whatever it was, 27 to 3 or 27 to 7 at halftime. The final score was like 35 to 10, something like that. But Sean King ultimately threw for 405 yards or I think some crazy stat. And after the game, somebody asked him, how do you think you did? And Sean King said, I played, I think I played pretty well. I threw for 400 yards, except the reason he threw for 400 yards is because they were so far behind that he's throwing in every play. And quite frankly, one of the reasons they were so far behind is because I think he had a bad interception or whatever it was. He didn't play well enough early in the game for sure. And uh, it just reminds me so much of what, what Kyle's saying is, is it, it's a very dangerous path to take when you start just looking at the numbers. I, I do think that after halftime of that Rams game, the Rams did play much better offensively. And if they would have played that way, both halves, they would have been okay. But the problem is, is you didn't, you only played that one for way for half of that game. And when you played poorly, it not only did not let you score points, but you were allowing the other team to score points because of it. And that, that ultimately um, did that. And hopefully Ohms can beat me out because I just realized I need to be beeped out there. There's nothing like a a, a good S-bomb between friends and an old anecdote, you know, especially when it involves Denny Green. I mean, it's almost (laughs) mandatory when it involves Denny Green that you need the beep button. I mean, come on, you know, I'm sorry, listening audience. Honestly, I deserved it, you know, to, to be honest, because if I'm going to cite numbers, I need to cite the fact that Jared Goff threw two picks and lost two fumbles in the first half. That, that's really, you know, to Kyle's point about the numbers lie, right? On Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. There's that. You know what's interesting? This is just me. They, as long as we're going a little asides here, when you watch Tua and, and you see the highlights or you saw the game, I'm like, what is throwing me about that? And it's the way he throws the ball. It's the fact he's a left-hander. And I'm like, why is that so disarming to the eye? And then I saw here that the last time there was a a guy who threw left-handed in the NFL was Kellen Moore 2016 with the Cowboys. It's such a rare occurrence to see somebody throw left-handed in the NFL. It's kind of strange at at first. It's going to take a while to get used to, honestly, to the eye uh, on game day. Real quick, it's funny you bring that up. They had a – uh, a piece on uh, ESPN Sunday morning and uh, there's only been 33 left-handed quarterbacks to ever take a regular season snap in an NFL game. That, that seems way low to me. 33 out of the uh, ever. Well, think about it. The, he's the 22nd starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins since Dan Marino retired to put that 33 ever in perspective in the NFL history. I, I mean, that is staggering. You're absolutely right. And, and honestly, I'm old enough to remember Ken Stabler. I mean, those are the kind of guys I think of when I think of lefties in the NFL. They're all going to play baseball, probably. If you're a left-hander when you're five years old, mom and dad are putting you in situational relieving already in T-ball. It's funny because that same story had Steve Young talking when he went to BYU. Steve Young, uh, who not only had a Hall of Fame NFL career, but was awesome at BYU. When he first got to BYU, the quarterback coach at the time told him he had to switch defensive back when he first got there because I refused to coach a left-handed quarterback and made a move 
And only because they had a change of quarterback coach and the guy knew that Young had played well in high school and said, why aren't you, why did you move from quarterback? And he's like, well, such and such said he wouldn't coach a left-handed quarterback. And the guy's like, that's stupid and brought him back to quarterback. But that's, it's really amazing. It's stupid as I didn't think of Steve Young because I actually covered Steve Young for a couple of years of the 49ers. <laughs> he, he was pretty good. Really, and what's, what's funny is, is Tua supposedly does everything with his right hand except throw a football. Like he eats, he does those things, which is the opposite of like yours truly. I, I do everything with my left hand. I throw with my right. Nobody's paying me to throw anything with my right hand. But, there is a, but I will say that my Italian grandfather, when I was a kid, saw me as like a one or two-year-old using my left hand a lot and literally, tell you how times have changed, told my mother at the time that, that she should tie my hand around my back and force me to use my right at all times. Yep, that's old school right there. That's like... You're yeah. possessed by, you're left-handed. You must be possessed by the devil. Right, exactly. Yeah, so uh, there you go. So, you know, it's when you get to ping pong where you don't know, because it's in between. It's not power. It's not a fine motor skill. You don't know what to do, like in ping pong or even in tennis. It's like you can grab, you know, like I'm Steve Young probably plays or Tua probably plays ping pong with, with both both hands on that <laughs> one. But look, in terms, of, in terms of watching him play, once again, and I didn't see a whole bunch of the game. It sounds like you did, Kyle. Uh, what th- kind of threat is he, especially coming off the hip injury, to run? Is, is he a, do you consider to a, a dual threat? Well, in pure nerd fashion, I just looked at the box score and didn't watch a second of the action. <laughs> so I don't know. But I saw him play in college a lot, and I, I don't think he's a dual threat at all. I mean, I'd have to look at – well, I guess he didn't run the 40 because he was hurt. But actually. He's a pocket passer. I, I was going to say, I think at this point, the Dolphins have like uh, have somebody up in the stands with like an elephant trink gun. And if he ever tries to run, they just put him down because they don't want to risk having him out in the pocket. I mean, if you're coming off the hip injury that he had, I would be scared to death every time Tua took a hit. And especially Although, if he went to run. Did you see his first pass attempt? And he got absolutely planted by Michael Brockers. He goes back to pass. He hung on to the ball too long. Aaron Donald gets his big mid in there, strip sack, knocks the ball away. Tua turns to look for the football, and bam! He gets absolutely planted by ginormous Michael Brockers. You talk about taking a first hit to usher you into the NFL. I mean, honestly, I don't know if he can play, but based on that, he can take a hit. <laughs> well, I just you look- know- Go ahead, Kyle. You look at the how exotic the Cardinals were in the in the fourth quarter in overtime against the Seahawks, and you you confused Russell Wilson in that game, a guy who's been in the NFL forever, who's seen everything from a defense. Vance Joseph is probably licking his chops for this one, where maybe you're missing Devon Kennard and and Byron Murphy possibly, but you can really scheme up what you want to do and try to confuse the rookie quarterback. And defenses love doing that sort of stuff. And, and the Miami offensive line has struggled. So it's a good matchup for the Cardinals defense for sure. And considering Tua can't really run that well, he's not a mobile threat. I mean, it's it's a pretty nice matchup for those, for those front four who want to get after the quarterback. You know, and again, you're, you're talking about a team while they're feeling pretty good about themselves. I mean, now they're to the point where you wonder a little bit if things get sideways, are they going to get frustrated? I mean, they, they were fortunate that Tua wasn't necessarily, and their offense wasn't necessarily producing a whole lot, but at the same time they had the big lead. So it was a little bit different of a feel. What happens if they get here and they get down 10, nothing early. I mean, I think it's, I think it's going to be a tough road to hoe for a rookie quarterback coming cross country, like Kyle said, potentially being confused with some of this stuff. Um, certainly you're not, you're, you're not assuming anything and that's assuming the Cardinals get that lead. I mean, you can't have, and we've seen it before where the Cardinals playing down to the competition thinking, Oh, Tua's not going to be able to do much. I'd like to see this offense jump on the dolphins early, um, make some things happen, uh, make it known that, okay, we understand our defense could potentially be down a couple guys because of injuries or, or illness, we're going to take it on our shoulders to, to really jump out early. I think that's super important for this game, Kyler Murray in this offense. By the way, one last note on that game at Miami and the Rams loss. I heard someone say, because once I'm like you, Kyle, I didn't see the game. I saw some of the highlights, but the Dolphins were on the shaded sideline, as you might expect being the home team. The Rams were in the direct sunlight. 
And apparently the TV broadcast showed a, a temperature check thermometers on both sidelines. And there was like a 40 or 50 degree discrepancy. It was 80 something degrees on the dolphin sideline. And it was like a buck 30 something in the direct sunlight. It was, so we all know about that from the Sun Devil Stadium days. I mean, that makes a huge difference. And Sean McVay referenced it after the game that he didn't want to hear any excuses about the heat. And I'm guessing his sideline was whining a little bit about that. So that's intriguing. Maybe just the Miami heat did the Cardinals a favor in the division, the Rams yeah. losing that game. And in some regards, maybe they were beaten before that game ever kicked off. They just wanted to get the heck out of there with an Eastern time zone game and the mega heat, humidity and sunshine of South Florida. Maybe the Cardinals can open the roof like halfway and move it depending <laughs> on where the sun is. Well, yep. Can I check the rule book on that one? Uh, okay. So now, uh, speaking of things that really shouldn't matter in the scope of a football game, should we be afraid or not, guys, about the Cardinals coming out of the bye based on last year? And if you need a reminder, speaking of the Rams, it was by far their worst game of the season a year ago, a game that Cliff Kingsbury called unacceptable right after the game, a 34-7 lackluster loss where you can pull any number of stats out of it. The most ridiculous one, I'm looking at my notes actually from last year, six different Rams receivers had at least one catch for 20 or more yards. Think about that. That's, uh, and that's the kind of production. And that's what was missing, Darren, coming out of the bye. Do you think the Cardinals learned their lesson? Well, one th I will say that the stat that I always that sticks in my head from that game was there was eight minutes and 33 seconds left in the third quarter, and Jared Goff was already over 400 yards passing, which is <laughs> amazing. But it goes to the all the 20-yard catches you were saying. I think they're in a way different position with this buy. I think they would have been anyways because of what happened last year. And I think it's something Cliff has probably been talking about since training camp began, like looking forward. And when we get there, then when you throw in uh, pre COVID positive tests, but the COVID culture that we're in where the players had to be around every day to test. So they couldn't go out of town. A lot of them ended up coming in every day to the facility to at least work out uh, because they had to get tested anyways. Um, I think that kept them in the right mindset. Kyler Murray said ahead of time, I'm all about working through this by because that's what I didn't do last year and I'm more mature. Then on top of everything else, um, if that didn't do it, then you get the news uh, probably Sunday night, I'm guessing the players did that a couple of teammates had tested positive and that all of a sudden is a, cold splash of water across the face about where we are, how quickly this could get sideways because of non-focus in a lot of ways. And I think that's going to help this team focus this week. I mean, it doesn't guarantee anything, um, but I, I think because of all those things, I think it's going to be much easier for them to focus going into this game. And to me, Kyle, in addition to all those, and those are all very valid points, I feel like the Cardinals have been there and done that when it comes to lack of energy the end of that lions game and then it carried over the next week into carolina and that that's where it bottomed out the lack of energy i, I think they learned that that if if they don't bring it and they're not game ready there's a real good chance they're gonna lose the game so i think i hope that the cardinals once again have have moved past that stage of their evolution yeah i mean as we talked about during the carolina aftermath I, i'm not a big energy and trying to deduce who had energy and who didn't. Um, but certainly they laid an egg in that game and it had nothing to do with a bye week or not. So I agree that having an extra week certainly shouldn't hurt you. And I think they also played a pretty good Rams team last year. And sometimes you get beaten pretty soundly, no matter the extenuating circumstances around you. So I feel like the, the Cardinals are a much more talented team this year than they were last year. They're playing an opponent that I, I think the Dolphins are a solid team, but not a great team, and you're at home. So I do feel like the Cardinals are at the very least going to be competitive. And like I said earlier, I think they're going to be favored in this game. So I don't think any sort of bye week trap is coming. Any team that you offer a bye to is going to take it because you get healed up, you get an extra week of preparation, everybody's fresher. I mean, there, there's a lot of really good things about a bye week. It's certainly not a negative. But, but. But if energy does make a little bit of difference, there are 4,200 fans that are going to be there this time as opposed to 1,200. So yeah. there'll, be, there'll be a few more voices in the building. And I'm guessing because it's the Dolphins, the vast majority of them will be rooting for the Cardinals. 
and Darren, it might sound, you know, okay, um, what sort of factor could that be? But just the players looking into the stands and seeing fans, to me, being there, you've been there on all the road games, Darren, it seems to make a difference. When they look into the stands and it's completely empty, you know, like the New York Jets game, for example, you didn't really need energy to win that game. But it does seemingly make and, – and it's easy for the players to pick out their own family. You, I saw a lot of that you know, in the Seattle game. Guys in those extended TV timeouts in prime time, they can easily and immediately find their own family, and, and there's something about that. You, you want to ball out in front of your own friends and family, you just gave them tickets. I, I do think – you know, I know Kyle disagrees, but I, I do think there's something to that. I mean, it's not, it's not going to put them over the top. It's not going to – it's not going to erase a Kyler Murray interception. It's not going to, uh, you know, stop uh, one of the Dolphins running backs from running up the middle. That's still got to be your play and, and how you fill those gaps. Um, but I, I think it all adds together. I think it, it, there's a certain amount of normalcy when you see uh, fans in the stands, at least some compared to none. So, and, and there's going to be a couple of situations as we go forward, they still got to go to the giants where they'll, that stadium will be empty again. Um, there's still going to be a couple instances where there's going to be no fans in the stands. And so it's, it's not over yet trying to like maneuver through that part of the season. And then there's another fans in San Fran. Uh, there were not. No, no, there's more no, of no. a rhetorical question. Well, no, I see what you're saying. Well, if you believe the players, Kyle, the players you talk to as much as anyone, they say, you know, just the season opener and the fact that you have regular season of football in front of you where you basically had no hitting, just the prospect of real full contact football guaranteed a lot of energy and intensity and playing the NFC champions. You know, look, we disagree on this side. To me, they're human and you're going to have great days of work and you're going to have bad days of work and they're extenuating factors and you can discount them or not. Here's my question. If you want something to quantify, Kyle Odegaard, (laughs) what about the return of Jalen Thompson and Max Williams? If indeed that's what the Cardinals are tracking for, where do you start and how much impact do you think those two starters will make? There we go. Something we can talk about definitively instead of trying to figure out how much is energy worth. I think I think Jalen Thompson is a really underrated safety who got hurt early and not having him is has been a pretty big deal. I mean, the defense has been good, but Jalen Thompson was looking like one of your probably top five, six defenders toward the end of last season. So I think he's an important player. And the fact that he's been practicing for, you know, probably about two and a half weeks or three weeks now you'd assume he's got to be ready pretty soon. So I'm guessing we have a pretty good chance of seeing him on Sunday against the Dolphins with Max Williams. The fact that he was just, uh, you know, being eligible to return from IR, you wonder if he's going to be ready or not. And if he is how much he can play. So I'm looking more at Jalen Thompson on having impact in this game. And I do think it's a big deal. If you can pair him and Buddha together at safety, that, that tandem was looking really strong down the stretch in 2019 been so long what was the max williams injury again i i should know it's this an ankle every ankle. everybody's got an ankle yeah. it seems like you're either on the covid list or you got an ankle injury an ankle okay all right i know i look forward to max williams being back i you know whether it's him at the point of attack in the run game whether it's him down the seam with his sure hands i i think that's a big deal for this offense i i, I really do and I, I look forward to when when he's healthy and when he's a factor again And Jalen Thompson, his ability to tackle in space, honestly, you know, that's at a premium these days in the NFL. Obviously, that's what Buda Baker does as well as anyone in the NFL. When you have those two guys out there, there's just this reassuring feeling that your defense isn't nearly as apt to give up a big play on a missed tackle when Jalen Thompson and Buda Baker are out there patrolling the deep halves. Especially against Miami when, like we've talked about, you're not – you don't expect Tua to like dominate you 20 plus yards down the field. The, the times you get in trouble is when somebody catches a, a drag route that goes six yards and then they get a bunch of yak um, like uh, the Washington receiver, McLaurin. Terry McLaurin in that touchdown. Something like that is when you, when you can really struggle as a defense with the yards after catch against a team like this. So I, I totally agree with you, Paul. The, the tackling ability of Buddha and Jalen Thompson is huge just to clean that stuff up and give somebody a 13-yard gain, not a 50-yard gain. By the way, you mentioned all that. 
is this an opportune moment to inject here about DK Metcalf and what he did against the 49ers? Oh my goodness. 12 catches a buck 61. Does that not make Pat P look even better? Yeah. If you do believe oh, yeah. the analytics and he held him to one catch for six yards when traveling and shadowing DK Metcalf based on how he absolutely torched that Niners secondary. That's just a Pat to me. We can talk everything we want about this Cardinals team. And obviously quarterback is King and that's going to be key and the development and improvement of Kyler Murray and his consistency. But if you're telling me Pat P is back to being Patrick Peterson, an all pro caliber corner, the corner who was named on the all decade team. If you can truly start every game plan every week with that caliber of Patrick Peterson, that's where I get excited about this Cardinals team overall going forward. It's funny going back and looking at that game a little bit, the Seattle game, not only did Patrick do such a great job on DK Metcalf, but the couple of times he had Lockett. I mean, I know Lockett ended up making the catches, but, and we've covered this in the last podcast. I felt like Patrick had really good coverage on both those. And it just happened. And you start thinking to yourself, if, if he just has his hand in a little bit different of a place and somehow knocks those balls away, I mean, what, how great of a game would that have been with everything he did with Metcalf if he was able to knock away just one of those bombs? And I know he didn't, and if he doesn't, it doesn't count, and the guy still made the play. But I just I look at how well he played, not only in the things he did well, but even in the times he got beat, it was right there. And maybe maybe that's a sign that Patrick is really rounding into the kind of place they need to. And, if, again, if they don't have a Byron Murphy – that becomes really important to have a guy that's playing at that kind of level and gives you so many more options in the secondary. And Patrick admitted after the game that he doesn't have that same elite speed that he did, you know, eight years ago. He said, I'm, I'm in year 10 and DK Metcalf's in year two. I wasn't catching him. So Patrick doesn't have those four, three wheels that he did coming out of college, but he might be at the sweet spot of his career where he's still got these tremendous ball skills now quarterbacks are challenging him a little bit more because they think they have more of a chance to complete passes. And if he's near the ball, he's going to intercept it more times than not. If he can get his hand on it, I think Vance Joseph made that point last week and I thought it was a good one. So Patrick Peterson's already got a couple of interceptions and if he can continue doing that and make up for maybe giving up a few more catches throughout a game, then that's a, that's a decent kind of trade off for the Cardinals. I mean, Darren Kyle already has his NFC playoff field set. He's already <laughs> sitting here. He's got his matchups already. I'm trying to tell him, Karma, don't do it. He's already formulating matchups and who Pat P might be on in the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> and it's it's early November. I mean, it's it's you know it's it's a little out of hand at this point. I mean, it's funny. We can joke about it, but with all the injuries that the the 49ers have had and and where some of this is going, you you can you can start to get. I think it's not wrong where you start to get a kind of an idea with this extra playoff spot who who the NFC playoff teams might be. Now, you might not be able to say exactly where everybody is going to stand for sure. Um, but, I mean. But with really, seven, with seven of them this year, it's it's easier, honestly, the way yeah. you know, there, there does seem to be a divide between those top seven and the rest of the NFC right now, Kyle. I think you have to really like the Cardinals chances to make the playoffs. And right now, I, I think the only team above 500 that's not in the top seven spots is the bears who are five and three, but they've lost two in a row. Their point differential isn't very good. Their offense really struggles. I mean, in an offense driven league, they don't have a quarterback that can lift them up consistently week to week. So I personally have questions about the Bears, which goes back to I see seven teams that are above the rest in the NFC, and the Cardinals are one of those seven. There's a long way to go, and we'll see how it plays out. But I think if you're a fan of any of those seven teams, you're feeling pretty good about your team's chance to make the playoffs. Who's going in as the number one seed in the NFC? Are you looking at Seattle with Russell Wilson – Four more touchdown passes, obviously, in that win against the 49ers. They add Carlos Dunlap. They're getting Jamal Adams back. Are they still the team to beat, Darren, in your, in your mind, for that number one seed, which is the only team in each conference that gets a bye out of the first round of the playoffs? I mean, I, I think as, 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 as long as they can not have any more significant injuries, I mean, I, I think the, the running back situation is going to catch up to them at some point. Um, if they continue to have problems there. 
Um, but if they can stay healthy going forward, I know their their schedule is among the easiest in the NFC. And that number one seed, like you said, because of the extra playoff team becomes the only buy team. And that becomes a huge deal. I mean, a lot of people are going to be picking the Buccaneers, but the, you know, the Buccaneers got some tough games left. You, you don't know exactly how that's going to play out. It, it seems like the Bucs and the Seahawks have a good chance at it, but I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not putting it anything necessarily past the Cardinals at this point. They just beat the Seahawks. Obviously that game could have gone either way, but at the same time, they did win it. And I, I don't know if the Seahawks are going to be a much different team when the Cardinals play them again. And we'll see what, how kind of, what kind of health that they have. And it is going to be on a short week, um, but we'll, we'll see where that goes. But I mean, I, I think if you look at either the Seahawks or the Buccaneers, I don't think you're really going on that much of a limb at this point. Well, and you look at Tampa, for example, Cardinals have Buda Baker, your NFC defensive player of the month for October. The Buccaneers have your NFC offensive player of the month for October and Tom Brady, who got it dialed in much like Carson Palmer did after some initial struggles his first year in B.A.'s offense. 15 touchdown passes, one pick in the month of October. And then we all know what Todd Bowles is doing with that defense. So as much as I admonish young Kyle earlier for karma and tempting the football gods, you know, I should admit that I walked out of the Dallas uh, Monday night game and said to Kevin Ray, the Cowboys national radio announcer, we'll see you back for a playoff game come January, uh, thinking that the Cowboys still had the ability with Andy Dalton to win the NFC East. I'm not of that opinion anymore. But at this point, I do think that there is a collision course, Cardinals and Buccaneers, Cardinals against Bruce Arians and that staff in a playoff game. I, this, to me, it's got to happen. It's going to happen. We're going to see that by the end of this season. Well, hopefully the Bucks are the one seed if your premonition happens, because that means at least the Cardinals win a playoff game and then get to face them. And I think, I think Tampa Bay is tough. I think they're the, the most well-balanced team in the NFC. And like you said, Todd Bowles is amazing. Everybody was talking about the offense for Tampa Bay and all these big names they got. And their defense, to me, is the best in the NFL right now. And Tampa Bay is a group that was middling to worse defensively for a long time before Todd Bowles got there. I think he's just a schematic genius. And I think it also says something about Kyler Murray, what he did in Tampa Bay last year where the Cardinals lost that game, but they were ahead most of it and they should have won. I, I think that says a lot about what Kyler Murray can do because I've heard a few things about caliber of competition uh, this year that Kyler Murray has faced, but I mean, he played 16 games last year and he had some good performances against good defenses. So yeah, I, I think Tampa Bay is a really good team. I think Seattle is a very good team. But it's it's close enough where I'm not exactly sure how how it's going to work out. I just I know the seven teams. I just don't know what order they're going to be in. That's why when the Cardinals in that game against Seattle and that victory on Sunday night, when they gave up 377 total yards in the first half and then in the second half and overtime, only allowed seven points. I said, those are Todd Bowles-esque halftime adjustments. Yeah. And to your point, Kyle, I'm with you. The respect level I think we all have for Todd Bowles, having a firsthand experience with a former Cardinals defensive coordinator, that's how good I thought Vance Joseph's game plan was and the adjustments the Cardinals defense uh, made in that. What's interesting to me, as we wrap it up with this, and this, this Cardinals um, game coming up against the Dolphins, is you know, as bad as, as Kyler Murray played, against the Rams coming out of the bye. I am curious. You know, he, he, he's one of those guys that strikes me, Darren. He likes these little challenges. And I think he's going to hear it from the media all week. And there, there's always that little challenge within the game of just getting the W. And so I expect a sharp game from Kyler Murray just in response to, I think, ad nauseum, you will get, oh, as bad as the Cardinals look coming out of the bye a year ago. I think that's probably a fair assessment. Um, you know, he's, he shouldn't be too hyped up. It's not like all the, all the noise around him going into the Dallas game, but he was going into a primetime game and, and everybody was uh, to asking him about going home and everything where, and he was a little bit off. I think this is, this plays perfectly into, you know, a good game from him because it's going to be off the radar a little bit in terms of a matchup nationally, um, it's going to be a home game. And I agree. I, I think, I think it, it's burned him for 
a year now that they played so poorly out of the bye. I know it bothers Cliff Kingsbury a lot. I think it really, really bothered Kyler Murray a lot. And uh, even if he didn't hear a lot about it, I think there's a little voice in the back of his head that's also still going, dude, you were terrible last year. This cannot happen again. And that's, you know, that's what the best players are like. They, they have this little internal voice that ultimately, whether that internal voice starts taking uh, fake things from outside and turning it into motivation, or if it's just them self beating themselves up, uh, I think he's got that. And I think he's going to be ultra motivated to play well. All right, actually, I lied. I forgot one point. I want to get your thoughts on this, Cal. Chase Edmonds, if he indeed he is the every down back, what's a realistic expectation in your mind, Kyle? You know him about as well as anyone. What do you think? Uh, I think he's going to shine. I think we've seen what he can do in, in limited work, and I don't know why that wouldn't translate to a bigger picture sense. I mean, he he hasn't gotten uh, workhorse-type tar- uh, carries and targets in the NFL, but he did it at Fordham all the time for like four straight years and he put up big time numbers. I know that's uh, small college football, but he's used to carrying the ball 15, 20 times a game. So I, I think you're going to mix in other guys, but just the pure explosiveness that he's shown and the running scheme that the Cardinals have, I, I think he's going to be successful. And there's to me, there's certainly not going to be this drop off from Kenyon Drake to chase Edmonds with what we've seen. And, I think that's the prevailing opinion, really. I mean, a lot of teams would be worried about losing their starting running back. But to me, I think the minority feels like the Cardinals are going to take a big step back without Kenyon Drake because of what Chase Edmonds has done. Just like I think the Seahawks should run at least a half dozen bubble screens to DK Metcalf, and I still don't understand why they don't. I, I just I don't get that. I'd love to see a half dozen screens, whether it's a middle screen, whether you're thrown out into the flat. Just get Chase Edmonds the ball in a screen, you know, get him in space a little bit with some blockers. I just love watching him set up blocks and work. I mean, they've basically been doing that. I mean, that's the, they haven't been handing him the ball, but he's been getting a lot of catches and, and we've seen how that works. And um, hopefully he's not on the other team's radar as much as he could be, but I I don't see how he wouldn't be. I mean, Chase Edmonds has been so vital to this offense all season, such an important part of it. And, uh, I don't think that that's going away anytime soon. The most impressive thing to me is the receiving for him. Cause when he came in, it didn't seem like he was yeah. even an average receiver for a running back. Like his, his hands weren't the best. And I don't know. It just didn't, it didn't seem like he was a receiving back. It was more of a traditional running the ball. And now he's splitting into the slot and running routes downfield. And I think it's a testament to his work ethic. I, I think we've seen for a long time, how much, of a worker he is and just the way he's always in great shape and he's always a guy who's going to put in the work in the off season and, and always come in and lift. And I think it's paying off for him. He's certainly got talent, but the fact that he puts in the work too and has improved that much as a receiver has really been impressive to me. It's interesting on the big red rage, DJ Humphrey said the initial way he got everyone's respect on offense was the fact that he actually knew all his blitz pickups. And that's usually the last thing a rookie running back, learns according to dj there oh i want to run the ball i want to catch the ball what do you mean pick up these blitzers and 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 he said that when you had the whole mental error chart that he was so far and ahead the best of any of the running backs and knowing all his assignments and to do it as a rookie right out of the gate that's when all the offensive linemen said okay this kid's a professional he, he's vested in in trying to do you know actually be reliable and accountable and so forth and and for his size he is considered reliable and blitz pickup, isn't he, Darren? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think he's turned into a very well-rounded running back. And when you talk to him, um, you know, he's 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 humble to an extent, but Chase thinks he's good. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I mean that as a compliment. I mean, he I think he understands what he brings to the table and it's he doesn't hold anything against, you know, Kenyon Drake being the starter or David Johnson before that. But I think Chase Edmonds is completely comfortable with the idea that he could be the number one back and do a really great job. And he doesn't think he doesn't understand why anybody would ever question that. And quite frankly, at this point, I don't either. I mean, if you want to get on that field with those freaks and risk your head being torn (laughs) off on any, you better have a certain confidence level that you can compete with, you know, with, with those sort of guys out there. So yeah, I think it's necessary 
you know, I, I, I have, I have no problem with it on that front. So. And I think from a big picture perspective for the offense, I think this game is an important one for them too, because ever since that Carolina game, this offense has been really good. It, it went from number 25 in football outsiders, offensive efficiency, and now they're up to, I think, number nine. So it's, it's been a big jump the last three weeks. Now you're playing a really good defense. If Kyler can play the way he played against Seattle, and if you move the ball that well again, I think it really says something about this offense coming together. And at that point, you can even raise the expectations even more when you're talking about competing for the division and start getting seeding in the playoffs, not simply just making it. So I think this is a big game for the offense to show against the Dolphins team that really just wrecked the Rams from start to finish. And I think we all agree. I think I say that and, and I look uh, sort of askance over there at Kyle. I think we all agree that the Cardinals really haven't come close to playing that maximum execution game on offense, right? I, I mean, they haven't had that game where you said, yeah, okay, that's what we were waiting for. We're still waiting for that game on offense to a degree, aren't we? That, that Seattle game was pretty good. And I mean, I think they're pretty close when you score 37 against, I, I know the Seahawks defense is not that good. And you go back to the Jets game and the Jets defense isn't that good. So I, I think they've shown it. And if you score 33, 37 points, you're obviously doing something right, but they haven't done that type of thing against a really good defense. So maybe that's the next hurdle is showing that type of efficiency eight, nine yards per pass attempt with the running game as well against a good defense. And and let's also be, and, and I've kind of gone over this in my head. We talk about doing a game like that against a good defense. I mean, it's, it's not easy to have those games against good defenses. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, you know, often does, has great games, but most of the time he's throwing for 400 yards and five touchdowns against the Jets. He's not going to have a bad game against a really good defense, but he's, he's not going to put up the video game numbers. And, and that's ultimately what this comes down to. When we talk about they haven't hit on all cylinders, I don't think that's wrong. But it, the, the idea that there's going to be a, they're going to hit a level where they're going to have these near-perfect games week in and week out, I just don't think that that's going to happen. I mean, that's, you're, you're going to have different matchups and different guys playing well, and you just want to get to a certain level that you're executing. And for this team – a certain level where you're able to score enough points that takes the pressure off a defense that's lost a couple of guys and, and might not be at the very top of the food chain. All right. Well, the Dolphins are in town first time since 2012. Quick, Darren, who was a Dolphins starting quarterback in 2012, the last time they played the Cardinals in the AZ? That's an excellent question. I, I, Ryan Fitzpatrick? I honestly don't know. I was hoping you would. I was hoping you would. I'm was trying. that the game Jay Feely kicked the 63-yard field goal? <laughs> Could have been. They beat the, actually they beat the Dolphins in overtime I think in that two that's the four and start I think that was the last one of the four and start and then they, Brian Greasy that's my guess Bob Greasy actually I think it was Bob Greasy <laughs> man I forgot that was the four and start and then yeah. the nine straight losses yeah it got start. it got south I still remember the interview with the head coach I did right after the game and. Um, there was some flexing about the 4-0 start, and then things went south after that. Yeah, that, well, that, that, things, that's, went, things went south for yeah. him and a lot of people that season. So. <laughs> so, um, by the way, uh, was it Ryan Tannehill? Indeed, our producer, Jim Omohundro, was Ryan Tannehill. How about that? That's See, here's nice. what's got to happen. we got to get back into the studio so, so Ohms can chime in live once in a while. Well, he's been too busy getting us a sponsor. All right, so that's Cardinals Underground presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals.